on. I'm on three seats. <laughs> Look, there goes the game. You're listening to Ithaca Now, WICB's weekly news program focused on stories in the Ithaca community. I'm your host, Bridget Bright, and thanks for joining us. Tonight, we'll hear about the students moving back into Ithaca College after 10 months away. Well, I think two tests is pretty efficient, especially if it's like Monday, Friday. How the college is now facing cutbacks. And so they need to cut approximately 116 full-time equivalent faculty members. And about a period in history that ended up creating a special type of game. It really it allows the player to relive this, this very traumatic event for people back in the day from the point of view of an action hero. But first, let's hear what's going on in the Ithaca area with our Community Beat. This weekend, the city's Department of Public Works has stated that some of the parking spots will not be used. This is because of the snow removal process, which will begin on the 6th. Following the 6th, drivers should double-check their parking spots for tow-away zone signs. If towed, the driver will have to pay a fee of $200 for every tow and a $50 fee for the storage of their vehicle. The Tompkins County Area Transit, better known as TCAT, will begin its spring service schedule on Sunday, February 7th. Many routes will operate on new schedules, while others will not run for this period. The spring schedule will end on May 29th. TCAT services will continue to enforce coronavirus safety measures, including requiring riders to wear face coverings and adhering to social distancing guidelines, limiting the number of riders to 25 people per bus. Recently, Tompkins County has identified three cases with the UK strain of the coronavirus. Research has shown that this strain is one of the more contagious versions of the virus. Those who have tested positive with this strand have already begun quarantine. The public health director assured that the spread of this strand has been contained and isolated. Cornell University changed its COVID-19 alert level from green to yellow, meaning that there is a low to moderate risk of transmission. The university identified at least 12 positive student cases tied to a party in College Town that multiple Greek life organizations attended. Since January 28th, there have been 70 positive cases at Cornell. Ithaca College has 15 total active cases, 7 residential student cases, 7 off-campus cases, and 1 staff member case. Tompkins County has 239 active cases as of February 5th. A new arrival of COVID vaccines has arrived in Tompkins County this week. Because of this, more prioritization is being given to those who have jobs with childcare, public transportation, schools, and homeless shelters. Even though these new prioritizations are being added, there is still a prioritization to vaccinate the elderly and those over 65. On top of this, 100 doses are being given to the workers in the Office of People with D Developmental Disabilities. Opportunities, Alternatives, and Resources of Ithaca have signed a lease on Thursday to establish a crisis outreach center downtown. 
The space will combine the efforts of OAR and other community organizations that support Ithacans in need. The center is opening up as a collaboration of three local organizations, OAR, Second Wind Cottages, and the Respectable Equitable Access to Compassionate Healthcare or REACH project. For Jack DiBetetto, I'm Emma Kirsting, WICB News. This is Ithaca Now on WICB. I'm Bridget Bright. For the first time since March, Ithaca College is fully open to students. WICB News correspondents Sam Sever and Jack DiPadetto spoke to those now moving in about what it's like to be back or here for the first time. Thank you for tuning in with us all here on WICB. I'm Jack DiBetetto. And I am Sam Seavor. Today we'll be exploring the move-in process for the spring semester at Ithaca College through first-hand accounts and experiences, as well as hearing student feedback on the new procedures here at IC. That's right. With now about 10 months away from the campus, some students are here taking classes for the first time. As some students started moving in, they had to quarantine right away. This was done as a safety precaution for some students coming outside of New York State. So my roommate got here nine or 10 days before I was scheduled to move in. I actually stayed the night in a hotel. I was the, um, the Hilton Garden Inn. So I showed up to campus. I received like a packet of information, a inspector um, elector for a COVID test. And then um, I went to the Hilton Garden Inn. Uh, my mom was dropping me off, so she brought me over there. And I collected my sample and someone came around to pick it up uh, one point in the evening. And I was just told to wait there, do not to leave the room. And then once I got uh, my results back, I was clear to access campus. After this quarantine procedure was done, the students now have to face the challenges and adjustments of the new testing process and COVID regulations. This consists of providing two samples a week for COVID testing, daily wellness checks, as well as signs in certain areas consisting of social distancing practices. Well, I think two tests is pretty efficient, especially if it's like Monday, Friday, because, you know, it gives enough time for any anything to be caught. I do wish they gave a little more time to collect the tubes. On top of all this, students had to move in themselves without having the opportunity to have another person help them along. It's the first time in IC history where this has occurred. For some, they had helpful roommates to move them in, or they sent their stuff in storage right next to the room. Others, though, did not have the same opportunity and had to move in themselves. Uh, I got to the a &E Center a little later, so by the time I finished at the A&E Center, my time slot was up, and I don't want to disrupt the line. So I grabbed what I could from my car, brought it up, and then I, I didn't grab any pillows, and I didn't want to leave the room because, you know, I didn't want to put anyone else at risk. There was also new dining regulations now into play, such as the use of reusable containers for easier prevention of COVID spread. Some restrictions during move-in led to long lines for the dining halls at certain times, which created some concerns for students who were on campus. Terraces has been packed for so long. My friends and I just wanted to get hot chocolate one night. Out the door. I was like, I just, I just wanted a hot chocolate. That's it. Um, but yeah, I think it's mostly just because of the social distancing. I, 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 I yeah, I, I wouldn't know like how it was like before COVID because I wasn't here for that. Even throughout of all this, students have been finding ways to be able to power through these challenges and make the most of their campus experience so far, whether that be by virtual hangout sessions through Zoom or even social distancing subs by doing campus activities. 
this past I feel that I'm still able to socialize, uh, to be honest. But like, um, this past Sunday, um, my roommate and I got lunch with um, two of my other friends, and we like sat in terrace in um in the terrace dining hall, like distance apart, and just kind of like talking, eating lunch together. The best thing about this whole entire experience for many students is their outlook on the situation. Through this entire new experience, students are able to have fun and enjoy their campus time through social distant gatherings, like the one night where the college hosted a s'mores roasting event. Wherever you are, we hope you are staying healthy and safe during these unprecedented times. It takes all of us to get through this. For WICP Radio, I'm Sam Seifor. I'm Jack DiBattetto. This is Ithaca Now on WICB. I'm Bridget Bright. With students moving back in, some may think Ithaca College is moving back to at least somewhere closer to normal. However, in the near future, the college is looking to make big changes. The Ithaca Forever plan has been accelerated due to the pandemic, and now some faculty are facing being cut from the college. News Director Jay Bradley spoke with Alexis Menor of the Ithacan to hear more about what's going on at the school. Yeah, introduce yourself and your title as it relates to the Ithacan. I'm Alexis Menor, and I'm news editor for the Ithacan. And for, you know, for people listening who may be kind of out of the sphere of Ithaca College or haven't really been paying attention, what's kind of the gist going on regarding the staff restructuring and some faculty maybe getting cut? Basically, Ithaca College's strategic plan, Ithaca Forever, has stated that they need, that we need to um, restructure, to resize, to find a good student to faculty ratio. So that was already stated in the strategic plan, but then administration members have said that due to the COVID-19 pandemic and its financial effects on Ithaca, Ithaca College, that we've needed to accelerate that plan. And so they need to cut approximately 116 faculty full-time equivalent faculty members. So that doesn't mean like 116 faculty members, that means full-time equivalent positions, which could be two people per one per, um, you know, full-time equivalent position could be more. And they're also discontinuing, reorganizing, consolidating departments, programs, majors. And then also they have furloughed or laid off approximately 264 staff members since March 2020. So as it stands right now, what are some kind of examples that have been spoken about of what downsizing might happen? So Ithaca College, um, the Academic Program Prioritization Implementation Committee, the APIC, they um, released the shape of the college, a draft, Shape of the College document on January January 13th. So that document recommends the faculty member, the faculty positions, the departments that will, will be having cuts, the departments that will be discontinued, the majors and programs that will be discontinued, the graduate programs that will be discontinued, along with also just some attrition, retirement positions. Um, so currently they are, I think, the feedback period recently ended, and it is going to be presented to President Shirley Coyado and um, Provost Cornish at the end of February for it to be finalized. And like the senior leadership team that's running everything, they've been met with a lot of vocal criticism 
from student groups, some faculty, and some alumni. Uh, can you just kind of explain what's going on there? So one of the really big groups that is voicing its opposition to the cuts is the Open the Books Coalition, which is a group of faculty, staff, students, alumni, and Ithaca community members who are, who are opposed to the cuts and also want financial transparency from the college. So they have been holding events over Zoom. They held an in-person protest and um, a little, something a little more controversial that they did was they made a protest display at the um, Peggy Ryan Williams building, which involved um, vulgarity and they um, said some swear words and they wrote it on um, the building in Sharpie and President Collado kind of sent a college-wide email about that. And they have been working still. They're actually holding um, protests. And then also there is the IC Alumni Against Austerity Facebook group. They recently held a town hall um, and they have been, their group of alumni who are also working to voice their opposition against the cuts. They've been sharing testimonials about their professors who they know have been notified to be recommended, who were recommended to be cut. And they're also kind of working to act against the cuts. And what are some of the transparency issues that people have pointed towards? So one of the big issues is financial transparency. We do not know the financial state of the college right now. And that's an issue because basically the administration has been telling the campus we are not in a good place. We need to cut these faculty members. But without seeing the numbers, we do not know what exactly, how much, like how much financial trouble we are in. So people would like to see that information. There's also the issue with um, the administrations and the senior leadership team's um, salaries. Um, the has reached out and asked them multiple times to disclose their salaries to us because they have said that they took a pay cut, but they will not tell us how much or how much they're currently making. So that's a very big issue. But then there's also kind of general transparency concerns that are very long held. They're not a new thing. Um, but people have been just concerned about transparency between the administration and faculty between administration and students, so yeah. And from the administration side of things, why why are they saying that this is necessary? I know you touched on that they're saying that the college isn't in the best place financially, but can you expand on that a little bit? So currently, um, the financial model, there have been concerns that it is not sustainable. Currently, it relies on about 92% of it relies on student funds. And obviously, with enrollment declining, there are less student funds to be used. So there's a lot of concerns about the sustainability of that. So there's that. And then with enrollment decreasing, that's also a very large issue. And then there is also the faculty um, administration. They have expressed a desire for Ithaca College to have a 12 to one faculty to student ratio. And obviously 
they need to cut faculty members to have that student to faculty ratio. So that's a very, that's one of their main motivations. As it stands right now, they're looking at cutting some entire programs. Have there been any word as for the students who are currently in those programs, who are currently, you know, paying tuition and being at the college for this specific program? If a program gets cut, what will those students do? I know this is something that Open the Books has kind of hinted at too. Well, within the departments, the APEC has stated that they will not be eliminating any tenured or tenure eligible positions. So within those departments and programs and majors that have been eliminated, if faculty members are tenured, they will not be fired. They will just be, you know, moved around. So those faculty will still be here as long as they are tenured or tenure eligible. And if a program department or major has been cut, if there are students currently enrolled in it, it will stay and students will receive their education until they graduate. What are some other big points that we're kind of missing? Is there anything that is kind of key to understanding the situation that we haven't touched on? Faculty are currently being notified that their positions have been recommended for termination. So they have not been fired yet. They have just been notified that sort of for a warning that they may be fired. So I think that's something to keep in mind. So another big point is that some faculty members at Ithaca College are unionizing. They're forming an AAUP chapter and they are looking to prevent the cuts to push for shared governance at the college, both during the academic program prioritization process and in the future. Um, And then also recently the politics department released a letter that basically rejected the terminations of um, the two professors in their department. Alex Moon and Juan Arroyo, they're both assistant professors of politics. Um, And it basically, again, like rejected their terminations and provided a lot of information about what that loss would occur and how that would affect not only the politics department, but the college overall. Where can people find, you know, the latest news on this and where can they find your work? If you'd like to find information about the academic program prioritization process, you can go to the Ithacan's website. We have a little tab on the news section that says academic program prioritization. So you just click that and you'll have all of our coverage about it. And also we have a new story about the faculty, um, students, staff, and alumni's reaction to the draft shape of the college document that will be published February 11th in our first print edition. So look for that. And if people want to follow you, where can they do that? So you can follow me at Alexis Menor on Twitter, and then the Ithacan at Ithacan Online on Twitter, and also the news section at Ithacan News. Thank you so much. That was Alexis Menor, the news editor at Ithaca College's newspaper, The Ithacan. For WICB News, I'm Jay Bradley. This is Ithaca Now on WICB. I'm Bridget Bright. Protests have been a big part of the last year. While they continue to be in the public view, 
WICB News correspondent Jess Dresch took a look into a different kind of protest. Many tools can be used to spread dissent, writing, songs, posters, graffiti. But let's look into one from the past that can be played. 1980s, communist Czechoslovakia. The country has been a satellite state of the Soviet Union for the past few decades. It's January 16th, 1989. Crowds of people are gathered in a town square in Prague, the capital of Czechoslovakia. You hear water cannons shooting out at protesters, while police officers form a wall of riot shields. And then suddenly, a tall figure appears. You see a man holding a leather whip. He's wearing a beat-up brown hat and has a pretty recognizable theme song. So we don't know that much about the origins of the game. Uh, it was released anonymously in 1989. It's possible that the author was one of the people who actually were present at the demonstration. That's Yaroslav Svelk, a professor of media studies at Charles University in Prague. He grew up in Czechoslovakia during the 1980s. He's talking about an underground protest video game that circulated around Czechoslovakia based on events going on at the time. The main character? Indiana Jones. He has to escape the communists and get back to America. The goal is to escape the turmoil that's happening on the square and take a plane back to America. It's, it's a pretty hard game and you kind of zigzag through the square and there's a lot of danger you can get, you know, gassed by tear gas. Uh, you can get beaten up by the police. There is an explosion. You can die in an explosion. There's a whole variety of game over death scenes. And it seems that the authors are really kind of reveling in these, in these gruesome death scenes. I think it kind of drives the points home that this was a very kind of violent event. The game was released anonymously. It's a text-based adventure game, so, you know, white blocky text appears on a dark screen. For example, there's a cop chasing you and you can type in go left, right, hide, or run away. But why was this American figure, Indiana Jones, the face of this protest that aimed against the Czechoslovakia and Soviet government? I think it's... It really... It allows the player to relive this... This very traumatic event for people back in the day from the point of view of an action hero. Um, and the people there were peaceful protesters who couldn't really defend themselves. And, and now, you know, you're in the shoes of Indiana Jones, who's actually, you know, um, this, this fictional hero who um, is an adventurer and who can defend, uh, defend himself. So it kind of allows you to kind of basically take revenge in a way. To some, it was years, to others, months. But there was a time in the 1960s where Czechoslovakia felt they were coming alive. Demonstrations were called on for free speech, free travel, loosening of the restrictions on the media. The Soviet Union didn't like this, and to show that the Czechoslovakian people 
weren't leaving the Warsaw Pact anytime soon. They invaded the country on August 20th, 1968. Moscow was afraid if they let Czechoslovakia go in that direction, Poland would go in that direction. Hungary might go in that direction. Life in Czechoslovakia under communist rule was restrictive to say the least. You could be imprisoned for signing a petition. The secret police arrested anyone they suspected of being pro-Western. Certain books and songs were banned. Surveillance bugs could be found in people's homes, stopping them from speaking freely. There were long lines for things like bananas. And police brutality was rampant. Students once protested their rooming conditions and were just beat up. And then, in 1969, as a protest, a student in Prague named Jan Pollock set himself on fire. I mean, you look at colleges and universities, we live in a different universe. It's easy to talk and say things. And so in a way, Jan Pollock was saying that, look, we had this chance, and all of you are just going back to the way, back to the way it was, so we gave up. But I think the bigger issue here as well was that the hope for internal change disappeared as a result. As Zenin Wazilu, a professor of history at Ithaca College explains, things were bleak. It would be another 20 years until the peaceful revolution. But beginning in the 1980s, something new and exciting popped up. Video games. They proved a way to protest the government in ways officials couldn't detect. They weren't books or songs, but coding and algorithms. At that time, it was a very fascinating uh, phenomenon. It was just very new and very exciting. Um, I think it's really hard to imagine today because computers are all, all around us. But back then, it was it was something completely new, completely fascinating. The fact that you can just you know, type on your keyboard and the uh, the letters just appear on the screen. It was it was it was really something. The computer coding scene mainly consisted of bored teenage boys with lots of time on their hands. One of the leading coders at the time was a high school student named František Fuka. Most of my friends, my best friends, were people from computers. And again, I remember there was no internet and there were no mobile phones. So we often just uh, met with each other. And we went for a walk somewhere to the outskirts of Prague, like for five or six hours. And we just talked about programming, about computers and what's coming. And it was really great. Of course, we had no normal social life. We were nerds, even then. Fuka was known for his coding, but like everyone else in the computer scene, he was just a kid. He went to the movies when he could and hung out with his friends. Um, there was also a problem, for example, the uh, very basic uh, stuff that you take for granted in shops was often not available. For example, there was <laughs> I remember there was a long shortage of toilet paper in the whole country. Or, uh, or shortage of bananas. And there were like uh, several hour long queues in the morning to get uh, some bananas. I remember when I was finishing the elementary school, that means I was 15 and we went to a last great school trip and I had with me a programming manual in English. 
and <laughs> read it during the trip and I was a laughing stock for everyone. So that was that was basically our communi community at, at, at the time. Among some other things, Fuka tells me many of the songs he knew, he didn't realize until years later, were actually American. They had been stolen by Czech artists and were replaced with Czech lyrics that meant something completely different. Sometimes, movie theaters in Czechoslovakia showed American movies. Fuka remembers watching a Hollywood blockbuster for the first time as a kid. I was already going to movie theaters to see almost all movies that were released in our country. So I knew how the movies look and uh, I knew most of the many of those movies by heart and I liked them. And then I saw these Hollywood blockbusters from Steven Spielberg and it was completely like I was completely unprepared and I had no idea that movies like these could exist. It wasn't long until Fuka saw the first Indiana Jones movie. He had made a few video games before, and soon he made his first Indiana Jones game. It became a hit in the underground video gaming scene. Uh, and my first Indiana Jones game was called, uh, in fact, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, which is the title of the second movie. But when I did, when I made this game, I only saw the first movie because the second one was not shown in our cinemas until revolution because it was promoting colonialism so i had i only knew the title of the second movie and i read some articles which like hinted at the plot and i completely made up the plot of my game and uh, then later when i saw the movie i discovered i was completely wrong of course fuka put his phone number in the game he made and it wasn't long until people called his house asking for hints to get to the next level or when he was going to make his next game. It happened often enough that he even left a note by the phone with instructions, so if he wasn't home, his mom could answer and explain. But Fuka didn't create the Indiana Jones protest video game in 1989. He's never even played it. The creator of that game remains anonymous to this day. But... It is likely they were influenced by Fuka's game. Communist Party officials, they didn't know what was really going on. To them, what was important was control and competition and stuff like that. And so they really wouldn't know what these young people were doing. It, it end, I think it ended up being like whack-a-mole. You know, can you keep up with this stuff if you don't even understand what these young, young people are doing? So 1989, the beginning of the revolution and the release of the Indiana Jones protest video game, mirroring real events in Wenceslas Square. Protesters gathered in the square for a week to commemorate the resistance symbol of Jan Pollock. It would be referred to as Pollock Week, and it was the beginning protests of the revolution. And the protest video game was titled Indiana Jones in Wenceslas Square. 1989 would mark the beginning of the Velvet Revolution and the end of Soviet power in Czechoslovakia. But it's no wonder Indiana Jones became the face of this game. Amidst the protests and the demand for the end of Soviet leadership in the country, the Indiana Jones protest video game was a way to express the voices 
who were outnumbered by guns. Indiana Jones was more than an American action figure, but a force shield of invincibility against an oppressive regime. Even if the game was satirical at points, it showed a broader image of resistance in the country, one of the first protest video games in the world. And we see these now today. There's a game called Liberate Hong Kong, where you're a protester in Hong Kong in a standoff with police officers. And this past summer, players in Animal Crossing hosted Black Lives Matter rallies with their avatars. The video game has become a medium of self-expression and protest. You can play behind a screen, but express yourself in the real world too. As for the Indiana Jones in Wenceslas Square, Yaroslav Svelk converted it for a web browser. You can play it online. For WICB News, I'm Jessica Dresch. And that's all for this edition of Ithaca Now. You can listen to all of our stories on WICB.org. And if you'd like to listen to past shows, follow WICB on SoundCloud and subscribe to Ithaca Now to hear this show anywhere, anytime. Also, subscribe to The Latest to hear our daily newscast every weekday. Just search WICB News Presents on your favorite podcast app. For more updates throughout the week, follow WICB News on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. This show wouldn't happen without the support and assistance from manager of television and radio operations, Jeremy Menard, WICB station manager, Sam Ives, programming director, Lou Barron, and new and new social media coordinator, Gabrielle Topping. Thank you. Ithaca Now is produced by news director, Jay Bradley, with assistance from news managing director, Celine Tutar, and this week's correspondents, Sam Sever, Jack Benedetto, and Jess Dretch. All of the music from our show's intro and outro comes from Dr. Dundiff of Louisville, Kentucky. Have any feedback, story ideas, just want to say hi? Feel free to reach out by emailing Feel free to reach out by emailing news at WICB.org. We will be back with a full episode of Ithaca Now at 7 p.m. next Sunday. I'm Bridget Bright, and thank you for listening to Ithaca Now on WICB.